Good morning. How are you guys today? Let's close the gap a little bit. Let's have you guys all come all the way up to the front here. You could sit right in front of this step. You could come over here to the sides. There we go. One of the things that we talk about a lot is that the scriptures, the Bible, is really just a book full of God's promises. It's kind of the point. God makes promises, and then he keeps them. And then he makes them, and then he keeps them. And then he makes them, and then he keeps them. And what happens when we see God keep his promises over and over again is our faith grows. We become more and more convinced that God does not just make promises. He keeps them every single time. And so the, the reason we keep looking at God's promises over and over again is to see that he keeps them and it makes our confidence, our faith, grow. In the Old Testament, with the man named Abraham, God made promises to him. Abraham and his wife never had a child. They were very, very old, and they still didn't have a child. And God came to them and said, you are going to have a son. Believe me, I promise, you will have a son. But they doubted, and they doubted, and they doubted, because they didn't have a son yet. They were waiting and waiting and waiting. God said, not only are you going to have a son, but your son is going to have so many kids and their kids have so many kids that they're going to turn into a great nation, but then something bad's going to happen. All your descendants, your great, 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 great grandchildren, they're going to become slaves. They're going to become slaves in Egypt. But I promise I will bring them out of Egypt and bring them to a land of their own. And I will give them this land to be their own land. I promise. Our Old Testament lesson today was God keeping that promise. He had brought them up out of Egypt, all of Abraham's great, 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 great grandchildren. They were living in Egypt as slaves. God brought them out of Egypt. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, but then they were in a desert. And you know what there's not a lot of in a desert? Water. Water. And guess what? took three days for them to say, uh-oh, uh-oh, where are we going to get a drink? Where are we going to get water from? This is terrible. You know what they had forgotten? God's promises. They had forgotten that God promised to bring them out of Egypt and give them a land of their own to live in. If God allowed them to die of thirst in the desert, would God be keeping his promise? No. If God allowed them to die of thirst in the desert, he would be breaking his promise, and our God does not do that. He does not break his promise. But the people forgot God's promise, and so they doubted, and they said, what are we going to drink? And then there was water, and it was undrinkable. Ah! God made the undrinkable water drinkable. He said, Moses, take this piece of wood and throw it in the water, and it'll become great, and you could drink it. And he did. And all of a sudden they had water and God continued to provide for his people every single day until he kept that promise and brought them to the promised land. Today we're going to see God keep another promise. He's going to send the Savior who would heal people of amazing diseases and most importantly, who would heal you and me of our sin. Let's pay, pay extra close attention today as we hear our God keep another promise, a promise to send us a Savior. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for being the fulfillment of your Father's promises to rescue us. We thank you for examples of your authority where you show us that you have the authority not only to heal sicknesses, but to forgive sins. 
Help us to see that you are a, a blessing to us because you are God's promises fulfilled. Amen. The portion of God's word that we will focus our attention on for a few minutes this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's begin with prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Caring for other humans can take a lot out of a person. And a lot of times you can see how much it's taking out of a person just by looking at their face. When you look at the face of a young mother who hasn't been sleeping much, you usually don't need to ask. You can just tell the baby is up a lot. And if you know a healthcare worker, you might be able to tell when things are a little more busy at work, when the beds are all full and a shift is just nonstop service. You could probably see it on their face. Oftentimes for a, a, a husband and wife, the, the vows that they once made in sickness and in health become very vivid as either husband or wife finds themselves caring for a very ill spouse. It takes a lot to, to care for other humans. And a lot of times you could see it just by looking at a face. But I think it's safe to say that the kind of care that generally takes the most out of us is the most humbling kind. The kind of care that leaves us feeling helpless. The mother who's tried everything and the child is still crying. And there's nothing she could do to make that child stop. The doctor who brings the diagnosis that says there's nothing else we can do. And then the spouse who's left to look at their loved one and say, doesn't matter how much I love you, there's nothing I can do to help I think that's the most exhausting kind of service. In our text today, we have these men who bring a friend to Jesus, and it just so happens to be someone that they can try to help, but they can't help him with his paralysis. What could they do for him? Make sure he had food to eat, water to drink, try to make him as comfortable as possible, I suppose, as they carried him on his mat from place to place. But what could they really do for this man? Not much. But then somehow, we're not told how, they hear about Jesus, and they're convinced that Jesus can do something that they can't do. 
They've heard this Jesus is performing miracles. He's doing things that normal humans cannot do. And they believe Jesus can help their friend. And so what do they do? They bring him to Jesus. And and this is when we see this incredible contrast in our text that you wouldn't see in English because of the way the translators have chosen to translate it here. You have Jesus sees their faith versus Jesus knows their thoughts. But in Greek, it's the exact same phrase. It's really cool. Seeing their faith, seeing their thoughts. It's a perfect comparison of of two different things that Jesus sees. So first, he sees these men who have faith in him. And what does that mean? They have faith that Jesus has ability. They have faith that Jesus has authority, authority that they don't have. They believe it, and they bring their friend to him. Jesus sees it, and you can imagine it makes him smile. They believe that Jesus has authority to actually help their friend. And he helps with something they may not have expected him to help with first. He doesn't say, get up and walk. He says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus doesn't only have authority to heal bodies, he has authority to heal us of of sin. And so he deals with the more important thing first. If this man dialed a a paralyzed man, if he died a paralyzed man, would, would that have been a problem for him eternally with his sins forgiven? No. But if he died being able to run and jump but didn't have faith that God had forgiven his sins, what, what good would his running and jumping do him? So Jesus deals with the most important thing first. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. But that's when Jesus sees the thoughts. He sees the thoughts in the hearts of the experts of the law. And by the way, this is the exact same word. If you were here last week when we talked about these experts that Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of heaven, exact same word here. He's, he, he sees thoughts in the hearts of the Bible experts that reveal a lack of faith, the exact opposite of the men who brought the paralytic. These men have thoughts as they look at Jesus that basically says, you are our equal at best, but you're probably inferior to us. You have no authority that we don't have. And how dare you claim to have authority that we don't have? Because when Jesus said, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. He was claiming to have authority to do something that only God can do. And as Jesus sees the thoughts of the experts in God's word, he he sees a lack of faith in his authority. And so Jesus poses a question. And notice what he does not say first. He does not say which is easier to do. Because the answer to that question would be, well, neither is easier to do. For a human, it is not easier to forgive sins than to say, get up and walk to a paralyzed man. A human being can do none of those things. Jesus says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And there is one of those things that is easier to say. Your sins are forgiven. It is easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one will know if you actually have the ability to do it or not. How could they? When Jesus said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, there was nothing visible that anyone there could see. 
to identify, oh, he, he really does have the authority to forgive sins. But if Jesus says to the paralyzed man, get up and walk, everyone will know instantly whether or not Jesus actually has the authority to do what he says. And so that is far harder to say. So Jesus posits this comparison saying, well, what do you think? If, if I could tell the man to stand up and walk, and he does, what does that say about my authority to forgive sins? You tell me. And so he looks to the paralyzed man and he says, get up, take your mat and go home. And he does. Instantly proving what? Jesus has authority. Absolutely, undeniably. The men who brought their paralyzed friend, they had faith in that. They believed Jesus has the authority to do something we do not have the authority to do. And these experts in God's word, they had thoughts which revealed they did not believe that Jesus had this kind of authority. If Jesus were to look into your heart today and to my heart today, what would he see? Would he see faith? Or would he see thoughts? Would he see faith that clings to his authority and to his authority alone? Or would he see thoughts that reveal the opposite? In our Bible study this morning, we focused on the difference between the law and the gospel, which sounds like a good Lutheran thing to focus on, right? The fact that we always want to understand the difference between the law and the gospel. Well, we identified something this morning that is very applicable to this point. Do you have faith in Jesus' ability to completely forgive your sins, or do you have thoughts that you are somehow playing a role? Because the minute you begin to compare yourself to someone else, and think you are better than them, you have a different object of faith than the authority of Christ. And you've created in your mind a different kind of Christ. The minute you look at someone else, a friend, a relative, a fellow member of Mount Olive, and you think to yourself, where are they today? Here I sit. Where's my brother? Here I sit. Where's that other member of Mount Olive that I used to see all the time? Here I sit. Where's my son? Where's my daughter? Where's my grandkids? Here I sit. Where are they? The minute you allow your thinking to raise up yourself and bring down someone else, you're beginning to think that God loves you because of something in you because you made a good decision or because you chose the right thing. You, you decided to spend time in God's word as opposed to not spending time in God's word. Therefore, God must love me more. What's the object of faith? What do you cling to for hope and salvation? Is it the authority of Christ to forgive sins and, and that authority alone? Or do you add to it something else? My ability to serve God. My ability to do the right things. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, that, that's not me, Pastor. I, I have faith in Christ, the real Jesus, God, man. I believe in his authority to forgive sins. Okay. Do you always agree with how he uses his authority in this life? Because the same Jesus who has authority to forgive sins is the same Jesus who has the authority to 
Tell a paralyzed man to stand up or to raise a, a dead girl from the dead or to heal someone with a disease that's been plaguing their body for decades? Are you okay with how Jesus has used his authority in the life of your loved ones? Or do you sometimes think that he should have done it a different way? Do you sometimes wish that maybe you had the authority so that you could heal your sick son? So that you could raise that dead loved one? Maybe there's times when you don't really like the way Jesus uses his authority and yeah, 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 that's nice that he has the authority to forgive sins, but why can't he just use his authority to heal diseases a little differently in my life? In this text, there's this comparison in front of us. A comparison of hearts that cling to Jesus in faith and cling to his authority and to his authority alone and hearts that cling to something else. And I think sadly we have to acknowledge sometimes our hearts cling to other things. Our hearts don't always cling to Christ and to his authority alone. And this is why this section of scripture is so important. In the chapter of Matthew's gospel, right before this one, chapter eight, Matthew quotes the Old Testament verse from Isaiah 53 that goes like this. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. That was God's promise in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah, the promised savior, would be a healer of physical ailments. And the reason that he would be a a healer of physical ailments was so that he could prove his authority to do what we need the most. The tragic irony in this text is that the people who rejected Jesus' authority needed his authority the most. We all do. We all need Jesus' authority to forgive sins. And yet here in this text, we see people who clearly need it and yet reject it. You know what comes right after that verse in Isaiah 53? One of the most famous gospel promises in all of scripture. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen to that last line one more time. We like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, not some of us, each of us. Each of us has turned to his own way. And what does the Lord do? He lays on Jesus the iniquity of us all. All the times that my faith has clung to anything other than the authority of Christ. Anytime your faith has clung to anything other than the authority of Christ, that's sin. That's iniquity. Each of us turns our own way all the time and what does God do? He lays on Jesus the iniquity of us all that we be forgiven all our sins. In this text, Jesus does this amazing miracle to prove he has authority to do what's needed most, to forgive sins. 
And you know Jesus has done a far greater miracle than this. Because the Jesus who was put to death for the sins of the world rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. The Son of Man and Son of God who died for your sins and mine did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. And it is that miracle that proves his authority once and for all. It proves that he is not like us. He does not get exhausted caring for people. You know what happens to me when I care for a lot of people? I get so tired, I don't know if I could take another phone call. I don't know if I could take another text. I get worn out, and so do you. But Jesus' resurrection proves he never gets worn out. The Lord laid on him the sin of all of us. He took on the sin of all all of us. He has cared for everyone. He has forgiven everyone. And he never, ever grows tired. Cling to the authority of Christ and to his authority alone. Amen.